This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, Friday afternoon, September 16th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rob Hart. A Michael Jordan game-worn jersey has set a new record at auction. We'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, the latest reading of consumer sentiment leads today's numbers, while the CEO of FedEx has some dire words about the global economy. We're joined by Gus Foche, chief economist, PNC Financial Services, based in Pittsburgh. Let's talk about the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Survey, which has been down in the dumps all year long, uh, posting some numbers that were last seen during the Great Recession. Is this uh, survey number driven entirely by gas prices? Um, Some of it is gas prices. The fact that they they have fallen in recent months has pushed the index up from June. Uh, Some of it's a very strong labor market. So we have an unemployment rate that remains below 4%. We have good job growth. We have solid wage. Growth And so I think it's a reflection both of uh, lower gasoline prices over the past few months, but also uh, strong job gains. And there have been some uh, questions about uh, the reliability of the survey, especially since now it seems like there's kind of a, a partisan bias introduced into the numbers that if there is a Democrat in the White House, Republicans are more likely to say the economy is uh, in the dumps and vice versa. But despite all of that, is this still kind of a leading indicator as far as uh, where the economy is going? To some extent, but it's also kind of a, a, a lagging indicator in terms of it reflects what consumers are actually seeing in their lives rather than uh, what what they think is going to happen. Um, you know, and um, it, it's also true that uh, there is that partisan bent to it, but I would pay more attention to what consumers are actually doing rather than what they're saying. So we saw growth in retail sales uh, for um, uh, August. That looked better. And so I think it, it is the case that I'm more focused on what consumers are actually doing with their money rather than what they're saying. The market has been in the doldrums, uh, the stock market, uh, basically uh, all week long. And uh, today's uh, sell-off is driven by some comments from the CEO of FedEx, who has uh, some dire words about the uh, global economy after an earnings miss uh, yesterday. Uh, Is this uh, a sign that the economy is slowing down, the fact that fewer people are shipping packages? Or is this just a reflection that uh, people shipped and bought uh, several years uh, worth of merchandise uh, during the pandemic, and now they are um, shifting over to services. Um, It's some of that, but I do think that we are seeing a significant slowing in the global economy, uh, more so in Europe, more so in China than in the United States. But obviously in Europe, they continue to deal with the fallout 
from the Russian invasion of Ukraine, the uh, high energy prices, the concern that we could see energy shortages in Europe this uh, winter. Um, and so I think it is a reflection of, of real economic conditions. It's not just the, the stuff that people bought ahead. There is some of that. Uh, but certainly, I think for the U.S. economy, uh, softness in Europe and outright recession in Europe later this year, that's a big downside risk. And then lastly, how resilient is the American economy? How sheltered is the American economy, especially if the rest of the world uh, goes into a steep economic downturn? Um, you know, the U.S. has some protection from that. A lobby, Obviously, a lot of our uh, demand comes from within the United States. But I would think that if we got a very severe global recession, that that could push the U.S. economy into a mild recession. I don't think that's the baseline outlook, uh, but that potential is out there. And, and we do have the potential for a very severe downturn particularly in Europe this winter. Gus Fauché, Chief Economist, PNC Financial Services, based in Pittsburgh. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Coming up, a piece of Chicago-related sports memorabilia brings in over $10 million. A deposit for your future. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. A jersey worn by basketball star Michael Jordan during the last dance season of his NBA career is sold for a record $10.1 million at auction in New York. We welcome in Stephen Fischler, CEO of ComicConnect.com and Metropolis Comics based in New York. Stephen, thanks for joining us today. This was the jersey that Michael Jordan wore during Game 1 of the NBA Finals in 1998 against the Utah Jazz. The Bulls lost that game, but MJ dropped 33 points on... uh, Stockton and Malone way back when, and uh, it's still worth a lot of money. And uh, Stephen, the $10.1 million, this blows away the previous record set for a piece of Michael Jordan memorabilia. Oh, it is a staggering uh, item to have come up for auction for sure. Uh, There are basically no people in the basketball game that really do rank uh, in terms of uh, the impact that Michael Jordan has had. And this is such a pivotal moment in his career. And there are so many collectors around the world who are in, in, in the world, U.S., China, name it, that would love to be able to own this. You have one jersey. creates a lot of interest because there is such a – it's a one-of-a-kind piece. Um, in the world of sports – it really takes a lot of years to figure out who the greatest is. In baseball, you'll say it's it's Babe Ruth. And in basketball, you would say it's Michael Jordan. So he's become greater than a basketball player. Uh, if, if you really compare it to the value of, let's say, a LeBron James, there really isn't any comparison. It is iconic. And not that many pieces uh, qualify for that label iconic. But this one... Uh, certainly does, and it was promoted in a brilliant way, and it created a frenzy. The the price is staggering, uh, but the piece is staggering. So I think those two things probably match up quite well. And in in previous conversations, you've mentioned that the uh, collector's market has really been uh, supercharged by a new generation of wealthy buyers. Uh, Who are these uh, nouveau riches who are coming in and setting the collector's, collector's market on fire? Well, I think that uh, because money uh, it, it around the world is kind of being printed at blinding rates, people look at physical items, uh, special physical items, uh, alternative assets in a, a very different way than maybe they looked at it 
10 years ago. So they look at $10 million in cash versus this item. And they go, hmm, I've got to choose one, uh, but I can't have both. And they will go, you know what? I'm going to hold this physical item because this may be a better place to put that money uh, than the $10 million sitting in a bank account. That's not even considering that this item probably went to a collector who absolutely adores Michael Jordan. He might have a special shrine in his room dedicated to Michael Jordan. So not it's possible that somebody looked at this as a, a, a smart purchase, a smart asset to buy. It also may have gone to somebody who is, has an emotional attachment. It's the emotional attachment combined, to the, combined with the iconic nature of this that really drives the price. And, and it doesn't happen that often. Uh, but sometimes lightning strikes. Uh, a, a Michael Jordan jersey selling for a million dollars 10 years ago was even unheard of. It might have been $60,000, $70,000. But because it was in the HBO special, because it was uh, that jersey that he wore in game one uh, of those finals, it, it, it represents kind of the pinnacle for a Jordan collector. And then lastly, and is justified. And then lastly, and very quickly, this also seems to hammer home the fact that uh, Michael Jordan and the 1990s Bulls really were a global phenomenon. The fact that MJ can fetch this type of price and LeBron cannot, or Kobe Bryant cannot, or even Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Well, uh, I, I will say that the community of basketball fans usually places one person at its top baseball fans as well football fans as well and i think when the the dust settles and i think it may have already settled i think people look at michael jordan uh not just in terms of the impact of his game on the court but i think they look at it as uh, the impact of him as a person the impact, let's say, in, in the Nike sneaker market. So it really goes a little bit beyond just the quality of his play, which was obviously, you know, superior. Uh, but an item like this is is uh, iconic where another jersey of like LeBron James, uh, even in a, from a significant game, just wouldn't have that type of uh, frenzy. Uh, that a, that a, a Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan is the Babe Ruth of basketball, and that's kind of not in dispute. Stephen Fischler, having... CEO of ComicConnect.com and Metropol- Metropolis Comics, based in New York. Thanks for joining us today. Coming up next, Uber falls victim to a hacker. Uber is acknowledging that a hacker breached its network. We're joined by Jerry Irvine, CIO, Prescient Solutions, and members of the U.S. Secret Service Electronic Crimes Task Force, based in Chicago. Jerry, thanks for joining us today. The hacker goes by the name of Teapot. He may be 18 years old. And Jerry, the question that I have in trying to read this story is that uh, was this particular hacker, is he the so-called white hat hacker, the person who shows up to tell you what your vulnerabilities are, or uh, was he working for a security company? No, he was doing this on his own, and and, uh, really we couldn't call him a a white hat hacker because he did not get permission uh, to to do the hack, he actually was doing it uh, as they say for the lulls, for the fun of it, right? 
And and uh, he, he basically was able to either send an email or some type of social engineering uh, to a person uh, in the IT department, it, it seems, uh, the incident response team, and uh, and was able to get access to their VPN of the internal network. Uh, once he got into the internal network, he just started looking into uh, different files and, and was able to find a script that had hard-coded administrative rights and, and passwords and everything uh, right in it. So he was able to, once he got in there, to, to get absolutely everything uh, that was accessible uh, from the Uber systems. And it sounds like, and this is the lesson for corporate America and pretty much every business, that uh, the more applications exist to allow us to work remotely and collaborate remotely on the security side of things. That means it's more points of entry for somebody who wants to get in. That's absolutely the case. The other issue though, with this is that they have their, their user IDs and passwords hard coded into a script. You should never do that, right? You, they, you, it should always be a requirement that those have to be entered. Um, and, and you would go, okay, you know, I get it if, if this were the first time. But this happened to them previously in 2016 where hackers were able to get into a, uh, a collection of their code that also had user IDs and passwords hard-coded into them. And as a result, 57 million people's uh, personally identifiable information was stolen. Uh, they were they were unlucky that this 18 year old kid who you know is doing them a favor by telling them this hack exists uh, didn't uh, didn't do that back in 2016. Jerry Irvine, CIO of Prescient Solutions and member of the U.S. Secret Service Electronic Crimes Task Force based in Chicago. Jerry, thank you for joining us this afternoon. Still ahead in Entrepreneur Friday, a Chicago construction company with a global reach. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives they bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are so let instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date download the instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last minimum ten dollar per order additional term supply this is chicago's news traffic and weather station news radio 105.9 The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. A Chicago police officer and a Chicago police sergeant face felony charges for an on duty shooting. People in line to pay respects to Queen Elizabeth could spend more than a day waiting for the opportunity. Entrepreneur Friday, we meet the founder of a Chicago company specializing in building enclosures that's expanded overseas. And a Dutch hotel chain is set to open a location in downtown Chicago. WBBM business, the markets are lower. The Dow is down 340 points. The NASDAQ is down 199. The S&P 500 is down 54. The AccuWeather forecast for today, sunny and warmer. High today of 85, 79 degrees right now under partly sunny skies at 1231. Topping our news at the half hour, two members of the Chicago Police Department faced charges for an incident in July. 
when a bystander was wounded during a shootout with a group of masked suspects in the Pilsen neighborhood. Cook County State's Attorney Kim Fox details the charges against 43-year-old Sergeant Christopher Leacopoulos and 42-year-old Officer Ruben Reynoso in the July incident. The first, aggravated battery with a firearm, which is a Class X. The aggravated discharge of a firearm, which is a Class 1 and official misconduct, which is a class three. These felonies are punishable by up to 30 years in prison. Fox says the 23-year-old man who was shot did not have a gun, and video shows police were not fired upon first, contradicting what officers told prosecutors. Demand to view the coffin of Queen Elizabeth is so great that the U.K. government is temporarily preventing people from joining the long line. When the lines reached five miles in length and the wait to walk past the Queen's coffin reached more than 14 hours, Officials here in London put things on hold, a temporary pause preventing anyone else from joining the line. These two women were two minutes too late. Cue to get into the queue. Um, Yes, it seems that way. We're still smiling. And with the weekend approaching, the crowds are likely to get even larger. Steve Futterman, CBS News, London. It's 12.32 as the noon business hour continues, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Markets are in the red. We're joined by Jack Ablin, Chief Investment Officer. Sir Crescent Capital based in Chicago. Jack, thanks for joining us today. When it comes to the stock market sell-off, the hits uh, just keep on coming. And the latest one was the revised guidance from uh, FedEx, along with some ominous comments uh, from the company's CEO about the state of the economy. Uh, When it comes to FedEx, is uh, their package shipping activity the uh, canary in the FedEx box, as it were? Yeah, I mean, you know, Rob... uh it's a uh, barometer of global uh, manufacturing and shipping, and they're a big logistics company, uh, and its stock is down t- a whopping 22% today. Um, so, yeah, it, it definitely uh, sent a lot of surprises around Wall Street. Is this a flashing red light about the state of the world economy or the state of the American economy? Yeah, that's a good question. He, uh, the CEO, really pointed to Europe and Asia, most notably China. Uh, been locked down for a lot of the uh, most recent COVID outbreaks, and I think that less so in the U.S. Um, although they are sidelining some planes, they're reducing hours of their employees and closing uh, uh, several stores, uh, you know, worldwide. But I, I think it's more on the global economy than it is on the U.S. economy right now. Is today's market activity a reflection of the concerns about the global economy brought forth by FedEx, or is this going to be a, a case of uh, the sell-off continuing until uh, the Fed has its meeting next week? Um, you know, that's a, that is a good question. You know, if I'm reading the tea leaves here, it does look more like a global growth story. Uh, when we started earlier today, uh, the FedEx was off, but bond yields were higher, which would suggest perhaps that investors were looking toward the Fed. Now, uh, yields have turned around and they're headed a little bit lower. Uh, we're also seeing consumer staple stocks uh, generally outperforming and the more ec- economically sensitive stocks uh, trailing. So I think it's really more of an economic growth story today than it is about the Fed. At the same time, the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index uh, ticked up to its highest number in a little over a year. Is that merely a reflection of gas prices going down because that's the way uh, most Americans uh, perceive and interact with the economy? 
I think so, Rob. I, you know, we also have to keep in mind that the University of Michigan's sentiment surveys are still probably below the level that we saw during the pandemic. So it's still, uh, yes, it's ticked up, um, probably lower pump prices, but the um, but the level is still pretty dour. Is that a leading indicator, a lagging indicator, or is that a number that uh, is getting less and less consideration, possibly because of sampling issues, or that uh, the respondents are allowing their uh, politics to uh, uh, color their view of the economy? Well, you're right. It is an opinion survey, um, generally more of a coincident indicator. Uh, But one of the things that I like to glean from surveys like that is what are uh, consumers expecting on inflation? Because if, and as it turns out, consumers are expecting lower inflation and prices to come down. And that's a good thing because generally inflation does tend to follow expectations. Someone expecting, the, let's say, the price of a car coming down over the next six months, they will likely defer their purchases. That'll hurt demand near term uh, and then hope to buy the car later. You know, if they expected inflation to go up and prices to be up six months from now, then they could accelerate purchases and that could actually hurt the inflation trend. Jack Ablin, Chief Investment Officer with Crescent Capital based in Chicago. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Coming up next in Entrepreneur Friday, a growing Chicago construction company that specializes in windows and walls. Your daily transaction for useful information. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Entrepreneur Friday, and this afternoon we're learning about building a business in the construction industry. We welcome in Rodrigo de Escoto, founder, president, and CEO of Reflection Window and Wall, based in Chicago. Rodrigo, thanks for joining us this afternoon. Hi, good afternoon. And uh, you started this company in uh, 2001, but it's safe to say that uh, construction is in your blood. It is. Construction is in my blood, 100%. And uh, your father uh, also had a a long and uh, uh, interesting history uh, in in the building trades. Uh, At one point, uh, the chief estimator for the Sears Tower, and we will call it the Sears Tower. What was that like just watching him growing up? Oh, that was, you know, I remember waking up in the morning to go to school. He was gone, and I remember getting to bed at night, and he was not home yet. So that was the early 70s when they built the Sears Tower. Um, and he was a real trailblazer. You know, he uh, he started the Hispanic American Construction Industry Association here in Chicago um, and really just was my, I wanted to be like my dad, right? He was, uh, he was larger than life growing up. And, and before we talk about uh, your business that you've been building for two decades, um, as a kid in Chicago, what was it like watching the Sears Tower take shape? Because I know you grew up in Aurora, but uh, just seeing this building that uh, you know went from uh, a, a, a block-sized hole in the ground uh, to a landmark that you could see from dozens of miles away, uh, what was it like for you to see this thing take shape and know your dad was involved in it? Oh, mate, it was uh, super proud, right? Uh, it was almost beyond comprehension. As you guys know, the Sears Tower, I think, held the record for about 40 years as the tallest building in the world. It was a phenomenon, right, that uh, that we had here, and he was part of it. He would tell me stories like, you know, there's enough uh, cable in the Sears Tower to wrap around the world, you know, seven times. I was, I was like, always, because he he'd be all the estimating. So it was just fascinating to me. And... Still to this day, I love estimating. 
And then, and then what was it like for you to make the switch from a construction industry observer, someone who had been around it, to someone actually starting your own company and uh, developing business for yourself? Well, one thing, I, I didn't appreciate how hard it was when I saw my dad do it. Uh, so I, I wanted to be like him, and, and I hung a shingle outside my door and, uh, and you know, got it. They needed windows for the Chicago Public Schools that were energy efficient and Chicago Housing Authority, and that's where I, I cut my teeth in the beginning, and we just, you know, just kind of plowed through and learned the business uh, of facades, facade enclosures. And this is uh, based in Chicago, but now there are offices in Nashville, New York, Philadelphia, San Francisco, and also a global presence as well. Um, how has your base of knowledge uh, uh, grown and evolved along with your business? Oh, it's it's the hardest thing. You have to be an expert or somewhat of an expert in every facet, you know, whether it's thermal analysis of our facades, because we're always pushing sustainability, energy efficient solutions, beautiful glass. Um, you know, structurally sound, uh, great value. These, these are the things that kind of drive the business. And we have a diverse supply chain, right? And we have three places around the world we can get it. We can get it from, you know, the Middle East, from the Far East, from India. And we have a domestic facility. Um, so we really have that diversity that's required in today's market um, with getting product. Rodrigo De Escoto, founder and president and CEO of Reflection Window and Wall in Chicago. Today's Made in Chicago. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. Still to come, Chicago's Michigan Avenue getting a new micro hotel. Investing 60 minutes each weekday for planning for the future. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. A Netherlands-based hotel chain is coming to Chicago. Let's get the details from Danny Ecker, reporter with Crane Chicago Business. Danny, thanks for joining us us today. It's called Citizen M, and this is a so-called micro-hotel uh, where the rooms uh, just give you everything you need and not a square foot more. Yeah, it's, the rooms are only 150 square feet. Uh, just if you could picture a California king-size bed that stretches from wall to wall. Um, that's about half the size of a, of a traditional U.S. hotel room. And it just opened, uh, or is about to open later this month, um, in the new uh, tower at 300 uh, uh, North Michigan Avenue that Sterling Bay just uh, is, is completing. Um, and it's it's basically a bet that uh, uh, people, there's a lot of uh, people who would like to stay in a hotel room that's tiny and they don't need much out of their room. They just want to be there to sleep and go explore the city. And uh, this has been uh, in place uh, in the Netherlands, uh, the first one at the uh, Schiphol Airport in Amsterdam and uh, Glasgow. It's been uh, open, uh, expanding its footprint in Europe and Asia. And uh, what do people like about this particular concept outside of the stuff you already mentioned? Well, I think the idea is that it's a pretty good price point, I think, for relative to other hotels that are pretty nice. I mean, I think the aspects of this hotel with, a, with the quality of the, of the product that you're getting is pretty nice. You're just getting a lot less space. Um, and, you know, these are meant to be well located, you know, right in the heart of very of areas where people want to travel. So I think that's kind of what it, look, what it looks to appeal to, kind of betting that the next generation of hotel users will not care so much about uh, a large size room. They feel like they it's wasted space on them. And uh, we'll see over over time whether this is something that is a European thing or does this catch on in big cities? There have been more citizen M's in the U.S. Uh, and there's and there are still more to open. 
Will this be something that American travelers uh, gravitate to over time? And then do we know uh, what type of amenities uh, these hotels offer outside of the very tiny room in which you're going to have to do some creative maneuvering to get out of that bed if you're just going wall to wall? Uh, do they have uh, free breakfast or uh, turndown service or, uh, or a, a continental breakfast? Or do you have to find that on your own in the city you're staying in? I think it's usually the latter of those. It's usually they're saying, well, we don't need to, you know, fill someone's room with a mini bar full of, of, of items here. They want to go outside and explore the city and, and they don't need this stuff in their hotel room. It's obviously for a certain type of visitor. Um, there are other amenities like there's, you know, a pretty large bar and restaurant space and, uh, you know, a lot of actual co-working and spaces to work. Uh in an outdoor patio area. So there's a lot of amenities that'll be familiar to people at a hotel like this, but uh, the rooms, it's just a different experience for those who are going to go uh, looking for this this type of uh, this hotel room. And lastly, Danny, the most important question, uh, do you still get the free USA Today? <laughs> um, I don't think so. I don't know. I didn't ask them, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I would I would think that uh, may, I don't know maybe they would offer some 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 European news outside your door. Danny Ecker, reporter with Crane Chicago Business. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. You'll find past programs and later today a podcast of this hour at wbbmnewsradio.com and the Odyssey app. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.